0: Hi, I want to welcome you to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am super grateful that I can have this podcast and we can join each other this way through this medium. And my heart and my soul really behind this podcast is to help people like you just walk with God and follow Jesus as fully as you can by really rooting your life in the scriptures. And I call that Blue Jeans Theology. It's my effort to try to teach the Bible in everyday language in a way that's connected to everyday life so that people can follow Jesus in their everyday life. And that's the whole heart and soul behind this. And it is a privilege and an honor that I get to do this. So wherever you are listening at, uh, wherever you live, my heart and my prayer for you is that you would grow in your knowledge of God and in your walk with Him. We have been in the last few weeks, really the early stages of a series that I'm simply calling Questions of Doubt. And we're wrestling with just some of the questions that plague people, both inside and outside of the church at times, as we try to walk with God and get to know Him. Sometimes we just have doubts and we have things that plague us or questions we're not sure how to to deal with, and so I've just uh, kind of decided to take the opportunity to engage with some of those questions, questions that I myself have wrestled with, and that I've helped other people kind of think through and wrestle with. And the reality is, uh, this series has sort of kind of grown as <laughs> as I've put it out there, and people have emailed me or messaged me with some of their questions and things they wanted me to talk with. So the series has kind of taken on a bit of a life of its own and just keeps growing. So we're early on in that, and in this episode, what I really want to deal with in this episode is just some questions about God, uh, because we all have them. And there are some real pressing questions. And at various times in our lives, some of those questions kind of nag at us more than others. Uh, Just some of the basic questions. Is God real? Like, does he really exist? Or what is God? And what is God like? That just because someone believes in God doesn't necessarily mean they believe in the same God as Jesus did, the God of the Bible. So what is God like? why, why does God seem so invisible, unknown, and unresponsive? Was another question that someone messaged me with. Like, God just seems hard to find, and sometimes He just seems unresponsive. Um, if God is real and is who the Bible says He is, here's another question people have sent in. Then why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Uh, how can a loving God condemn people for following, quote-unquote, the wrong religion with such strong faith and morality? These are just some of the questions that I've gotten over the last week or two from people. So would you would you tackle this question on the podcast, on this series? And- I'm going to try to tackle all of those, just not all in this episode. Uh, we'll get to some of those uh, in uh, coming weeks. On this episode, I figured let's just at least start with the beginning. Is God real? Let's focus on that uh, and like, does God really exist? Start there and then we'll wrestle with some of the other things that force us to think about, well, who God is and what is he like? And wait a second, how should I understand that in... Uh, upcoming episodes. All right, so on this one, let's focus on this question, is God real? And if I could sit down with you over coffee or over lunch and talk with you about this, here's what I would do. Here's where I'd start. I I'd just simply ask, well, what's raising that question for you? What's making you question God's reality? And the reason I'd want to start there is because there's a lot of variety of reasons why people question the existence of God. Uh, some of it is just some of the scientific propaganda that maybe they've heard in college or uh, on you know, cable TV shows or whatever. Some of it is uh, maybe some of the other questions that I mentioned, like God just seems so unresponsive and I pray and I don't feel anything or see anything or it doesn't seem like anything happens. And so is he really real? Or some of it's maybe some of the more both Philosophical and deeply personal, painful question, like why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? Like, so there's a variety of reasons why people question the reality of God. And so I would I would start there if I were having this conversation with you or somebody else. Just help me understand what's what's lies behind that question for you. But since we can't have that conversation in this format, and since we'll deal with some of those other questions in upcoming episodes. Here on this episode, let me just give you a few of the reasons I think it's reasonable to believe in the existence of God. And I've stated that very precisely. Like, I, I just want to give you a handful, there's a lot, all right? There's a lot of the reasons that I myself, uh, you know, thinking philosopher types, uh, even thinking science, scientist types, think it's reasonable to believe in the existence of God. And so that's why I've worded it that way. I just, just, it's reasonable. I, I don't know that we could totally like prove it like a mathematical proof. Two plus two equals four. X plus Y equals God. I'm not so sure we can prove it like that because I just don't think the existence of persons is the kind of things you prove like a mathematic formula. All right. But I do think we could say it's totally reasonable. It's, it, it's logical. It actually makes the most sense of the data. Um, and so let me just give you a handful of the reasons that I think it's reasonable to believe in the existence of God. The, the, I'll start with the three main ones, all right? And I'll just throw out some other ones real briefly, spend a little more time on these three main ones for me that I think it's reasonable, all right? So first one is this, just the sheer existence of the universe, that the very fact that the universe, the, our planet, our solar system, our galaxy, the whole universe exists, is, makes it reasonable to believe in the existence of God. If you're into the formal statement of these things or the formal language for these things, in philosophical circles, this is called the cosmological argument for the existence of God. All right? All that's saying is this is that uh, there has to be something that began it all. Like you can't go back, in infinity, if something begins to exist, what began it? There has to be something outside of the chain of events that stands outside of that that uh, wasn't, you know, didn't begin to exist that just exists necessarily to begin something. And the reason for that is because from nothing, nothing comes. You can't have what they call an infinite regress. Like just the the sheer existence of the universe points. In the direction of, well, there had to be a beginner. There had to be something that began it. The way Peter Creft and Ronald Tasseli, two philosophers, um, put it, they, they say this in their book. They say, existence is like a gift. And if no one owns the gift, it can't be passed down the chain of receivers. If everyone is supposed to borrow a book, but no one actually has the book, then no one will ever get the book. And that's really the way it works with the existence of the universe. If there's nothing that could bring all this into existence that has the, the, the gift of existence within themselves, then how could anything exist? In fact, an unbelieving scientist who worked for years at NASA, he was an astronomer for NASA, he wasn't a believer, wasn't a Christian, but this is what he said. What is the ultimate solution to the origin of the universe? The answers provided by the astronomers are disconcerting and remarkable. Most remarkable of all is the fact that in science, as in the Bible, the world begins with an act of creation. Only as a result of the most recent discoveries can we say with a fair degree of confidence that the world has not existed forever that it began abruptly without apparent cause in a blinding event that defies scientific explanation. What he's admitting is there was a beginning to the universe, a beginning to our galaxy, a beginning to the earth. It just began abruptly. And so the reason he says that's disconcerting to, to us scientists is we can't explain that, and that, that points in the direction of something having to begin it all. And so for me... Uh, just the fact that the universe exists is uh, is a clue that there's got to be something outside of the universe that began it all. That's one of the reasons for me that I think it's reasonable. Uh, another reason I think it's reasonable to believe in God is just the very nature and design of the universe, and there is a ton we could say about this. All right, so we'll just point at least to a few examples. But the nature and the design of the universe. Uh, When I say the nature of the universe, what I'm talking about is the fact that the universe, uh, our galaxy, our solar system, our planet, all of that is like fine tuned for life. Like the nature of the universe is such that it is like fine tuned for life to exist here on planet Earth. And that's remarkable. We're not talking like, oh, we could just get lucky and this could happen. Like the more and more scientists have discovered about this at at the level of astrophysics and all of that, the more they have discovered that, that it's like a virtual impossibility that life could have erupted here in the universe and on this planet. Picture, if you will a control panel like a massive complex control panel in some sort of control room all right so you've got this massive control panel it's huge like it it spans across the entire length of the room and it's got uh, hundreds if not thousands of switches and dials and knobs and all those dials have to be calibrated just perfectly for life to exist that's what the scientists are saying about the nature of the universe and our galaxy and our solar system and our planet. That, that it, is, it is like that. That there's all these knobs and dials and they have to just be calibrated just perfectly for life to exist. And yet, that's what happened. That's what happened. That's what we've discovered about the universe is, is that there are... Hundreds, if not thousands, of calculations that have to be just so for life to exist, uh, and even more have to be calibrated just so for complex life, such as human beings, to exist. And yet, here we are. Uh, Literally, we live on the razor's edge of existence, and if any of those calibrations were off by just uh, a micrometer, there's no life, and there's certainly no complex animal and human life. Whole books have been written about this. Like, there's a book by uh, an astrophysicist from, that used to teach at Iowa State, don't know if he still does, called The Privileged Planet. Right? It's all about this, how it, our planet is privileged for us and animal life to exist, and yet here we are. Few, just a few examples of these kinds of things that they're talking about. Um, the atmosphere has to have the right combination of gases to sustain life and protect us from uh, harmful UV rays from the sun. The water vapor and carbon dioxide in the atmosphere reduces the temperature variations on planet Earth. Uh, The ozone layer absorbs a portion of the ultraviolet rays that would destroy life. The 21% oxygen, 78% nitrogen ratio are perfect for life. Our planet is blessed with liquid water, absolutely necessary for living cells, but something not found as of yet anywhere else in the universe. Uh, The crust of the Earth needs to be just so thick in order for life to exist, the size of the sun and its distance from the earth keeps the temperatures on earth the appropriate for life. This is just all with our planet and all within our solar system. And when you begin to span out into the galaxy and then into the galaxy of galaxies, it gets even more complicated. Um, And so all these calculations and calibrations, the nature of where our planet sits in the solar system, the solar system, the galaxy, the galaxy within all the other galaxies, it's privileged for complex life to exist. It's not the kind of thing that could have just, oh, wow, we just happened to get lucky, and wow, it just showed up here. And so the very fact that we live in a life-permitting universe makes it reasonable to think that that was actually intentional. That was purposeful. That was designed by some sort of incredible intelligence that knew all the calculations and all the calibrations that had to be just so in order for complex life like ourselves to exist. So, that's that's part of the nature and the design of the universe. Another example I'd give of the nature and the design of the universe, instead of going from the big broad level of the whole universe, let's go down to the microscopic level. One very classic example at the microscopic level, again, there's hundreds of these kinds of things, but here's just one, Uh, the bacteria flagellum, the little hair-like thing on a bacteria that, that propels it through whatever liquid the bacteria is in, all right, and on an individual bacteria cell, microscopic tiny little bacteria cell, there are thousands of these little flagella that move the bacteria through whatever liquid it is found in. Well, the bacteria flagellum is like a microscopic motorboat all right bacteria are able to move from one location to another in the human body with complexity and efficiency because of the flagella that are that you know like that that are a part of their makeup and a bacteria flagellum is not just like oh well that's just a hair that kind of flutters in the no it has over 30 different protein parts It's hard to imagine a machine with so many necessary parts, but it does. And all those parts have to be there for the flagellum to actually function. And if the flagellum doesn't function, the bacteria can't live because the moment it stagnates and stops, it dies. So the flagella is necessary for the bacteria to live. And the the flagella has over 30 different working protein-built parts. Uh, The bacteria flagellum is a water-cooled rotary motor. It's composed of a propeller uh, and a universal joint, a U-joint. If you're familiar with mechanics or cars, a U-joint, it's composed of that. Uh, It's got a bushing, it's got a rotor, among other parts. It has two gears, forward and reverse. It rotates at 1600 RPMs and can reverse direction in a quarter turn. It's actually capable of self-repair. Just imagine if we could design something like this for our cars that could, uh, were capable of self-repair. Scott Minnick, who is a microbiologist at the University of Idaho, describes it as the world's most efficient machine. This little tiny hair-like thing on the outside of a bacteria, the world's most efficient ma- machine. And Scott Minnick says, we have no mechanism to explain the evolution of such a complex machine. That's just... That's just not even the whole bacteria. That's just the hair-like function that moves the bacteria through through the liquid, all right? It's fascinating and amazing. Or the, the whole cell, like human cells, they themselves... Are micro machines, like little mini factories, micro factories with thousands of functional parts performing complex functions over and over and over again. And as they divide, they replicate right, the genetic makeup and then they, they design and divide and they've got all these different complex moving parts within them. Used to be, we thought, you know, a cell was basically just like a cell wall with like jelly liquid inside. Well, microbiologists have been able to zoom in more and more and more on what's going inside the cells. They see all these little moving parts, like a little microfactory. Um, or you could throw in just the human eye. And we've constantly been looking at the human eye and using that for, say, cameras and how cameras work and trying to figure out the nature of the human eye. Even the human ear is... Pretty complex, using complex acousti- uh, acoustical functions that we ourselves, with all our intelligence, struggle to replicate. How did that just happen, right? Like there are just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of examples of like complex design within living organisms in in the world, and that design speaks to some sort of designer, like. Who is the genius engineer that came up with all of this, that made all this happen? So at the massive astrophysical level of the universe down to the microbiological level and everything in between, uh, the nature and the design of the universe makes it reasonable to believe that God exists. Another one of the three main things that uh, reasons that makes it reasonable to believe God exists, for me at least, is the other one is just um, information. Like the information encoded within various you know, places in the universe. Like information is the hallmark of mind, right? Like imagine yourself driving down the highway and passing a hillside. And on the hillside is a, a, a series of letters that spells out a word. Maybe it's the name of the city. Maybe it's the name of the high school mascot, right? Like it's the warriors or it right? Or it's, you know, the panthers and on the hillside is a is the word panther spelled out. Or here in Idaho, not far from where I live, we could be driving down the highway and there's a hillside that's uh, all composed of red rock and then in green rock letters it says, uh, you know, keep our forest green. Like um when you're driving down the, the, the highway and you see a hill with words made out of rocks, what is your immediate assumption? Your immediate assumption is not, wow, it is amazing how all those rocks fell into place to, to make those words. Your immediate assumption is somebody with the Forest Service, somebody from the town, somebody put those rocks, somebody with intelligence and in mind put those rocks in that configuration to spell that word or to spell those words, right? Like, information is the hallmark of mind. Wherever we see information, we know there was a mind behind it. Well, then think about the information encoded, say, for example, in the human DNA. Human DNA is an information-rich system. It is, uh, it's double helix structure, right? Like, you've learned about DNA in biology, this double helix structure with four base pairs. It is essentially a quaternary code our computers operate on a binary code meaning um, to, you know you have like two base pairs dna works on a quaternary code four base pairs it is so complex that computer scientists have actually been experimenting with how could we take Uh, DNA and use that in computing as a storage information storage and retrieval system because it's way more complex than what we've come up with uh, as computer scientists and so how could we do that that's human DNA Um, the combinations of the pairs are the genetic code for each individual and so every single individual is uh, encoded with information that says this is who this person's going to be and here's the amazing thing. It is so microscopic that all of the genetic information for every human being alive would fill an area about the size of a postage stamp. Like all the, 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 the coding, as we would call it in computing language, right? All the code for every human being would fit onto the area about the size of a postage stamp. We cannot replicate this with all our intelligence and all our mind. And so uh, DNA is an information-rich system. So who wrote the code? Who wrote the code in DNA? It's just more reasonable to assume there's a, a brilliant, a brilliant coder behind the code in human DNA than to think that just happened on accident. There are... Plenty of other reasons I think it's reasonable to believe in the existence of God. Those are the three main ones. Um, The the existence of the universe, the nature and design of the universe, the amount of information that's encoded throughout the universe are the three main ones. But there are some others, just life itself. Like Life never comes from non-life spontaneously. Like If you just give dirt or rocks long enough time, life never just spontaneously comes from that. So without life, there would never be life. So something alive had to give life. If you don't believe in a God, then you have to assume that the personal arose from the impersonal, that somehow manner plus time and chance gave rise to life. It's just more reasonable to believe that life gave rise to life because that's the only way we've ever seen it happen. Or the same thing's true with mind, like thinking, reasoning, beings like us. Mind. If you don't believe in a God, again, you have to assume that mind arose from matter. That somehow matter plus time and chance gave rise to the mind. It's just more reasonable to me that mind gave rise to matter rather than matter made mind. Again, because that's what we always see. We see intelligence, mind, forming matter into things. A human being with their intelligence takes wood and forms it into a couch or a bed, right? A human being with their mind um, creates a computer code that runs a program. Mind gives rise to these things. These things don't give rise to mind. Uh, Or another uh, example, totally different kind, the universal moral code. Throughout time and history, there has been the universal... really an agreed upon universal moral code among humans. Like lying is always wrong and truth telling is right. Uh, Courage is right. Cowardice is wrong. Um, Murder is wrong and preserving life is right. We, we just see this throughout cultures and throughout history. Now, the categories are the same in every culture. One of the things that's really important, a key distinction, is what fits those categories is not the same. And so um, in certain cultures, uh, sexual fidelity is still right, but they practice polygamy. That's still considered you're married to those people. Now, if a polygamist has a sexual relations with somebody who's not one of his spouses or someone else's spouses, that's still wrong. You see what I'm getting at? That the sexual fidelity is still right, even though what fits in the category of sexual fidelity might vary from culture to culture. The categories are still the same. That's really important. The same moral categories are consistent throughout cultures and throughout time. How did that happen? If we just evolved by chance, you would think there'd be a lot more variety, but there's not. Or the longing for justice. Immanuel Kant was a philosopher in the 1700s, 1800s. Immanuel Kant is, is really famous for contributing to deism and even ultimately atheism. And yet he himself did not deny the existence of some sort of great God. And it was for this reason, the longing for justice. that all humans long for justice. And we recognize that there's not perfect justice in this world, this world as it now stands. And yet we want justice. Where did that... Where did that hardwiring for wanting things to be made right come from? Like, where did even the category of right, so that there could be something that could align with this category of right and justice come from? And, and again, that points in the direction of, well, there's got to be something outside of us that hardwired that into us. The sheer explanatory power of the biblical worldview. Again, this goes beyond just the existence of God. But when I look at the biblical worldview, I think it makes better sense of what we see in the world than just about anything else. Now, um, those are just some of the reasons. There's a whole host of them. But those are some of the reasons I think it's reasonable to believe God exists, to think God is real. And the fact is, is most humans throughout human history have had some conception of the divine, some sort of belief in the transcendent. Uh, And they've tried to figure out what that was and name it if they didn't know what it was. Like, most humans had that. And even in our present secular age, in Western culture that I myself live in, even in that, living after the atheistic ferment of the 1800s, guess what? People still long for some sense of the transcendent. And that's why you'll find all sorts of people say, well, I'm not religious. But I am spiritual. There's some longing for the transcendent, as if they're searching for something missing, something that intuitively know is supposed to be there, but they've lost it and they're trying to find it. It's something like they're hardwired for. Um, what is it in human beings that make them universally drawn to the spiritual, to the transcendent, like a moth to the flame? Well, in view of some of the evidence I've just pointed out, even briefly here in the last 25 minutes. Uh, I think that that makes uh, sense to say that, that what makes them drawn to that is that there is a creator. There is a creator. And I, I think that longing is like a homing beacon from our maker, like some sort of residual beacon that draws us towards the transcendent, draws us towards our maker. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans 1.18 says that Human beings are 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 born and created with a knowledge of God, and yet in their flight from God—not always individually, but even culture-wide—in our human flight from God, uh, he says we suppress the knowledge of God, uh, and so we have it built into us. And I I think this universal longing for the spiritual, for the transcendent, is is a, a residue of that. It is this homing beacon that's trying to help us find our way home to our our maker, our creator, God himself. And so, I—I is God real? I think it's totally reasonable to believe that. You don't have to check your brains in the, at the door to believe that God is real. In fact, uh, increasingly, in the scientific community, in the scientific community, more and more are coming out and saying, uh, I, I think there's some sort of mind behind all of this. I don't know who that mind is. I don't know what that intelligence is. But I think there's something, somebody, some sort of intelligence behind it all. And and I think that intelligence is best understood as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you get to know this God, the maker of all that exists. Well, that's pretty quick. That's really brief. There's so much more that could be said. Whole books have been written on this, and you can uh, find some of these books uh, on Amazon, books uh, written by some really brilliant uh, scientists and scholars and philosophers that wrestle with these kinds of things. And so if you, you find it fascinating, uh, feel free to reach out to me. I can even point you to some of my favorite books on the subject. But hopefully that's helpful to you uh, and and gives you at least some of the reasons why it makes sense to believe that God exists. Hey, I hope you have a wonderful week. And as always, thanks a ton to each and every one of you who Make this ministry and this podcast and the commentary and everything else that I try to put out online possible. I I literally couldn't do it without you. We are partners in spreading the truth about Jesus. We are partners in Blue Jeans Theology. So thanks a ton for your support and your donations. And if you're not a, a donor yet, but you say, man, I love this ministry. I want to support it. I want to help it along uh, your help would be immense at present I'm only bringing in about 60-65% to 65% of what I need uh, for bare minimum income yet alone to continue to grow and expand the ministry so your support would be uh, very very appreciated and very very helpful to continue to grow this ministry and reach more people with it and you can do that at the link down in the notes below uh, at World Family Mission so thanks a ton to each and every one of you who prays for this ministry supports this ministry God bless you guys I hope you have a wonderful week I look forward to talking to you again next week.